going to talk a little about this morning. Uh, we are going to have a Palm Sunday message. I titled it, if you're taking notes, the title of this morning's message is A Temple of Triumph. We're going to be reading the story from the triumphal entry, um, Jesus coming in Jerusalem, and he was triumphant the way he did that. And um, thank you again, uh, Pastor Jake, for preaching last Sunday. It was a great message, um, and lo uh, looking forward to chill, still chewing and meditating on the things that God spoke through that, and us being prepared. As we come to church, we're prepared. We're ready to eat whatever God is serving, right? Uh, we're not going to be a Naaman that says it's got to be this way, that we are open to however the Spirit leads. And so I'm going to pray as we read this passage, and I, I didn't tell you where we're going right yet. Matthew 21, verse 8. I don't have all of it. Well, maybe I'll have some slides up here with the, the passages, um, but you can get a Bible open if you want. Matthew chapter 21. 21 verse 8, and it's going to be the triumphal entry. But I'm going to pray that each one of us, um, we get something new. I've read this story hundreds, if not thousands of times I've read this story. But I thank God that his word is living and it's active, that if I am hungry, he's willing to feed me. So would you join me in just praying that it's not up to your pastor, it's not just up to the Holy Spirit, that you actually, all of us in this room and online, have a role to play to being fed today, that um, he... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, right? They will be filled. They will be satisfied. So let's stir up our hunger as we read God's word. Amen? Amen. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that this message, maybe I've heard this story before, but I thank you, Holy Spirit, that not only have I been saved, I am in a process of being saved. And I am crying out today, save me. Help me be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I am still a work in progress, and I submit to your correction. I submit to your encouragement. I need it all. As we sang this morning, Jesus, I need you. And I need your word to give me nourishment, to give me life. I don't want to live by bread alone. I want to live by every word that proceeds from your mouth today. So give me ears to hear, Holy Spirit. I want to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so Matthew chapter 21, verse 8. Actually, turn my Bible there because I don't have it on my iPad. Matthew chapter 21. You thought I would have marked that since I was preaching from there. Here we go. Matthew chapter 21, verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you not read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. We'll stop there. This is the story. This is Palm Sunday. This is the triumphal entry of Jesus entering Jerusalem, being worshipped as a king. But I want to go back and read through some of these verses again because we've maybe heard this story before and we prayed that God would give us something new. Maybe God already gave you something new as you're we reading. I know that happened to me as Jake was reading the story of, of Naaman last Sunday. I've read that story tons of times. And as we just read scripture, I was like, why have I never paid attention to that verse before? You know, and so I love that God can do that. But I'm going to read another portion of scripture to give us context before we kind of go through this story again. 
Um, I think I have a slide for it. Uh, Revelations chapter 7, verse 9 says this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Did you catch that? In the book of Revelation, which is things yet to come, right? When we get to heaven, John is describing what he sees. That you and I will be clothed in white robes and we will have palm branches in our hands. Why am I reading this to you? Because I think what happened on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago was a prophetic look towards the future, was a dress rehearsal. What we just did during praise and worship this morning was a dress rehearsal. What we're going to do tonight is going to get a little more dressy in our dress rehearsal. Um, But we're going to do these things because there's something that's going to happen in heaven where we are going to hold palm branches. And I was thinking about this, maybe because um, my son, my youngest Ezra, is in Washington, D.C. right now. And as a 10-year-old, I went to Washington, D.C. on a school trip to go learn about our nation's history and just have an increased value and appreciation for our nation. And I went as a 10-year-old, and I learned. And, I grew, and there's things I still remember to this day that I learned as a 10-year-old. But I've gone back several times as an adult, and can I tell you the difference? As a 10-year-old, I was kind of like these kids waving palm branches, having fun, enjoying the time, but not fully understanding what was actually before me. And as adults, actually traveling and going to other nations and seeing how other people live all across this world and then going back to Washington, D.C. and seeing how our nation was formed and having a greater awe, a greater depth to understanding. I was more hungry when I was there. When I was reading a plaque, I wanted to read the whole thing. When I went through museums, I was like, no, 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 we, can't, we don't have enough time. Like, I, I gotta stay here and read everything. I wanted to see everything. As a kid, I was like, yeah, this is kind of boring. Let's move on to the next thing. And I think some of us, we're like that sometimes in our walks with the Lord. We read through stories in the Bible and we're like, yeah, I've heard that one already. But when we actually know that one day we're gonna hold palm branches before Jesus, the King of Kings in heaven, I don't wanna be caught off guard. I don't wanna be one of those that's looking around saying, wait, what are we supposed to be doing? I want to know. I want to have read my Bible and say, what did they do 2,000 years ago? What was I doing all throughout my life so that when I get to heaven, I am perfectly prepared and ready to worship with a palm branch? Some of us felt a little intimidated holding palm branches to this morning. I won't make you raise your hand, but some of us, we kind of felt awkward. Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to wave this? Uh, am I supposed to go all the way? I might, I thought it, I'm blocking the video camera for people online. And like all these different things, I'm thinking about things. I felt like, what do I do with this thing? I don't want to be like that when I get to heaven one day. I read Revelation chapter seven. I want to be prepared. Amen. This is a church where we said this year is a year of preparation. So when we read these scriptures, we're saying, how do I apply that to my life today? So as we go back through this, it's reading this like hopefully we're a little more mature, having read this revelation, we're a little hungrier. Okay, I want to be ready when I get to heaven to know how to wave a palm branch. And what is the meaning behind that? What are we doing? So let's go through. Hopefully I'm not going to take too long to preach every single verse, but I want to go back through again and read these verses. Verse 8. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So if you don't know some really quick history, 
Back 2,000 years ago, right, Rome was the ruling empire at that time that Jesus was alive. And it was very culturally, um, what happened in the culture back then was when a conquering king came back from a conquest or a general in an army in Rome would go and, and defeat a foreign land and come back to Rome or come back to their home country, what happened? There was something like this, a celebration for that general or the king that conquered something. And people would lay down palm branches and clothes. So what's going on is not just a Jewish religious thing. This is a cultural thing that the whole world at that time understood. When there is someone who is worthy to be praised, you do something. You don't just say, oh, that's nice. You actually engage. You actually come to where he is and you bring honor and you find a way to bring honor. You take off the very clothes from your own back and you lay them down. You do something to exalt him. You do something to recognize and tell everyone else, I'm giving honor and homage and recognition that he is great, that he just conquered things, and we need to recognize that. And so that's what's going on, the palm branches. You'll see it, um, King Solomon. This is before G David, right? King Solomon, there's palm branches that he puts in the temple. They were carved in gold. Palm branches were a, a, a sign of victory, right? It's all throughout Rome. You see palm branches. So this, it's this all... Coming together, we don't really do it a lot other than Palm Sunday. The day in our culture we live in, we just kind of think of palm branches like Southern California, the beach, right? But this is something that, this is declaring a king. And so this is a reason and a purpose why we do it. When we get to heaven, we're going to be waving palm branches. There's connection. There's meaning behind these things, right? Um, so verse 8, it also talks about there was this crowd. I've heard this lots of times. If you've heard the Holy Week, if you know the story of the Holy Week, you know that Many in this same crowd that were crying Hosanna and waving palm branches, just a couple days later, what were they yelling on, on Friday? Crucify him. This fickle crowd that was just led by emotions, right? I don't want to be caught up just doing what other people do around me. When I get to heaven, again, I don't want to be someone like, well, that's what everyone else is doing. I guess I do the same thing. I don't want to follow a crowd. I want to follow a king. And I think that's what the Lord is saying, right? That could, be, that could be what someone goes home with today. Don't follow the crowd, follow a king. There's so many other things that we're gonna talk about this morning, but I'm praying that we just prayed, right? That we're hungry. Find something that is, God is saying to you this morning. There is words that he, coming out of his word that's coming to you this morning. He'll highlight. I thank God the Holy Spirit highlights these things. Don't follow a crowd, follow a king. They laid their clothes, palm branches. We talked about that. I like the idea that they took something that represented themselves. We don't understand this fully in our culture either because when I go home, I have a closet full. I probably have, I'm not exaggerating, probably more than 35 shirts in my closet, right? I have all kinds of shirts. I have all kinds of clothes at home. But back in this culture, your clothes, your garments, they had a lot more meaning, right? You talk about a mantle, right? Elijah took off his mantle and gave it to Elisha. Right? There was meaning behind the clothes, the tunics, the things you wore. And so this idea that they took off what represented who they are, their trade, they were a craftsman, they were artisan, they were a, a politician. They wore clothes that represented who they were and they laid those things down before Jesus. What could, where I find my worth and value, I lay that down before you, God. My worth and value is not in what I accomplished through a day, not in, you know, in this day and age, when you meet somebody, you ask, well, what do you do for a living, right? We find our value in what we do. 
And in this story, you're seeing people laying those things down. My worth and my value, I lay it all down before you, Jesus. What you say and what you want means more to me than anything else. There's meaning, there's, there's value behind these things that we just kind of read these stories. I'm trying not to re-preach every verse, but that's verse eight. Verse nine, they said, Hosanna. You hear this all the time, right? Hosanna, that means save us. They, they were in a, I love that um, Jonathan just finished up our Jewish roots these last three Sundays and kind of going through the culture of, of the Jews back in Jesus's day and how Christianity came from the Old Testament, right? New Testament, it's all these things that are connected. And this idea, they're saying, save us. And in that day and age, they were under the Roman Empire and they had political oppression. And so they were looking at Jesus as someone, maybe he's our political savior. He's gonna get rid of the Romans telling us how to live our lives and we can worship and we can do whatever we want without anyone else telling us anything. And so they're saying, save us. Oh, he's our savior. Come help us, save us. But they were also declaring he is our savior. They were saying, we need a savior and we found him. Right now, he is saving us. Him coming in Jerusalem, they were making a prophetic declaration. This is our savior. Our hope is in this man. He's gonna save us. He's gonna deliver us. Some of it may be, again, in that day and age, that crowd, maybe it wasn't founded. It was a little naive. But their declarations were true nonetheless. Jesus was what they needed. And Jesus is their savior. Hmm. I wonder, we just sang that song. I wonder how often that comes out of our mouth. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every day, every hour, I need you. Those are healthy prayers, right? As I said several times, my goal is not just to get you to heaven, to get everyone in this room saved. That is a goal of mine. My goal is for us to grow, to mature. And at some point, it's healthy, it's good, and it's right to say, Jesus, I need you. I don't ever wanna become so mature and built up in my faith that I think I've got this. Oh, I got this. Oh, I know how to preach. I've, I've preached lots of sermons. I got this. No, every time I pray, God, I need you. God, I prepared a message, and if this is just my words, oh my gosh, I'm gonna look like an idiot up there, right? I might look like an idiot anyways. doesn't matter. <laughs> I need you, God. These are healthy prayers. On Palm Sunday, may that just be rooted deep in us. I need you, Jesus. I need you. And I love that it, they said, Hosanna, we need a savior. Then they said, son of David. Son of David was saying, he's not just our savior, he's the king. Son of David. That The whole history back then, the Jewish, this Jewish history, right? David was the ultimate king. God promised, and it was recorded, God promised David, there will always be someone from your lineage sitting on the throne. Always. And David took that to the bank. But then these Jews alive during Jesus' day, was there a Jewish king that was ruling during Jesus' day? Other than Jesus, no, right? There was no king. There had King Herod, who was appointed by the Romans to do it. There was no king that they actually served. So they were saying, son of David, you're the rightful one, Jesus. You are related. You're of the blood lineage of King David, and you are to be our king, not Herod, not Rome, not Caesar, not these other things. You're our king. You're not just our deliverer. You're our king. Sometimes I need not just cry out to tell Jesus, I need you to save me out of the mess I've created in my own life. Sometimes I need to cry out to Jesus, 
you're my king, which means I get to do whatever you say. My answer is yes before you even give a command. I don't just need a savior, I need a king. I need someone to follow. I don't need someone that just saves me out of my own mess and lets me go on my way and follow my own mess and then saves me out of my mess. I need someone to actually follow. The king that actually is leading the way, that David, as a warrior, was on the front lines of battle. The rest of the army followed this brave man. Wherever he goes, that's where we're gonna go. I need a king to follow. I need a king that tells me, this is how you live your life. This is what you do, this is what you don't do. And if I don't do it, you don't do it either. If I say it, you don't ask questions, just do it. At some point, I don't get to ask questions. I, I don't know why I bring this up often, but I think because I just need to relate to some of you. At some point, some of us, we ask questions like, why God? Why did you let that happen? If Jesus truly is 100% your king, sometimes you don't ask those questions. You just trust him. It's okay to have those thoughts. I wouldn't have done it that way. I might, in my own mind, but if I really revere Jesus as the ultimate king of kings, how dare I say, why'd you do it that way, God? There's better ways to do this. That's a wrong attitude. He's not truly sitting on the throne of my life if I keep asking him why. I keep questioning his motives. I keep saying, well, I could have done it better, God. I don't want to live that way. I want him, this is what it means to be a Christian, is that Jesus is both your savior and your king. He's both. I don't know that you're truly going to heaven if he isn't your king. You might cry out him to be your savior, but if he's never your king, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm telling you the, the cold, hard truth. If you never refer to Jesus as your king, meaning you just submit to him whether you want to or not, I question your salvation. He's got to be the son of David that you just follow and obey no matter what. Verse 8, verse 9. Now verse 10. It says, The city was moved. And we had come into Jerusalem. All the city was moved. Or it trembled. Or it quaked. Or it was in an uproar. I can't help but think, um, I, sorry, I think of sports often. But there are actually recorded events where in sporting events, I'll say football games is actually recorded more in football games than any other sports. Maybe soccer, um, but not in baseball, not in basketball, but in football, when something happens, there's actually seismic activity has been recorded when a crowd of 90,000 people in a stadium just go crazy and start yelling and jumping up and down. It actually shook the earth. I don't know. They didn't have, well, seismographs? What do you call those things? Whatever those things are called um, that record those things. They didn't have those back in Jesus' day but the Holy Spirit recorded it, so it happened. <laughs> the earth shook on account of people praising and worshiping. It wasn't the tectonic plates moving. It was human beings worshiping Jesus. Huh. I want to be a part of that. I don't want that to be something that just happened 2,000 years ago when I read about. I don't want it to be just something that happens in heaven in Revelation chapter 7. I'm saying, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You said it's going to happen in Revelation. I read that it happened 2,000 years ago. Man, I'm going to get a little more undignified in my worship. I'm going to learn how to wave a palm branch. I'm going to learn how to jump up and down and not let little kids do it on the stage without me doing it, right? 
I want to start shouting. Read scripture all over the place. It says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. How often, I'm just being real honest, how often do we actually shout at the top of our lungs and tell Jesus, you're my king, right? I think this needs to happen more often. I think it doesn't need to happen where it just shakes the physical tectonic plates. I think it needs to happen because it's shaking in the spiritual realm. That the enemy shakes and trembles when the church of God is actually worshiping Jesus as the king. I want to be a part of a church that does that. I believe we actually did that this morning. But I'm believing we're going to do it in increasing measures. As we learn the word of truth, as we apply it to our lives, I'm believing there's going to be a greater shaking. Every time we come to church, a greater shaking. Hmm. All right, verse 11. So the shaking was going on, and it says the multitude said, they started to question, who is this, right? Who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I am believing, it's been prayed long before I was a pastor, it's been prayed long since I've been the pastor, that people driving by, people walking by, would see, hear, recognize something, not just in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, that something is going on over there. The day of Pentecost, it happened. I'm believing that this church is going to praise God, that people are going, what is going on? People are actually going to drive into our parking lot and say, what's going on over here? Testimonies that are still happening today, I've, I, I've read about revivals, where fire trucks have actually showed up to churches. Because people driving by said, that church is on fire. And they called 911, church is on fire. And fire trucks showed up like, what are you talking about? There's no fire here. But somebody saw it. I'm believing that actually can happen here at Austin Neighborhood Church. That we are so in love with Jesus, so praise him, so rowdy in our praise and worship that it's shaking something in the supernatural realm that people question, what's going on in that church? And I'm not saying just in this church building driving by. I'm saying you and I, we are the church. Then when we go to school, when we go to work, when we go back home, people say, what's wrong with you? You met, you're a little bit crazy. Why are, you so, why are you so happy when nobody else is happy? People should be asking those questions. Hmm. And I love their response. Who is this? Who are you worshiping? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, I don't know if you know this, um, but it can be translated branch, or victorious one. In Hebrew, Nazareth means branch, like palm branches, or victorious one. Who are you praising? The victorious one. They were declaring Jesus victorious before he defeated sin, death, and the grave. They were pre-worshiping what he was about to do. I wonder how many of us need to learn how to do that, that we praise before a breakthrough. We praise and worship before we have the joy of the Lord. That I am going to put on a garment of praise for a spirit. I feel downcast. I feel heavy. So I'm going to become undignified in my praise and worship. I'm going to praise God like he's worthy, like he's victorious before I taste the victory. This is what there is going on on Palm Sunday. This is what needs to be applied to our lives. I'm, Jesus, you are victorious. In this very situation, I'm going to worship you as the victorious one. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I don't understand it, but I don't lean on my own understanding. I don't lean by my emotions. I'm not going with the crowd. I'm declaring you king, and you're the victorious one. 
All right. So he read Revelation as a context to read these verses. But I want to read another passage before I read these next few verses. We stopped in verse 11. In verse 12, it says that Jesus went into the temple. Was this Jesus' first time into the temple? No. Been there as you came to the Jewish roots class, you know that Jesus at least minimum three times a year went into the temple every year of his life. He went to the temple all the time, but something different happened this time that didn't happen all those other times. And I can't help but think connected to the idea that the temple became triumphant, that people were worshiping him and telling him he's the victorious one, recognize him as a savior, recognize him as a king. And as he was recognized that way, as he went into the temple, something different happened. I'm warning of us, if we applied that to our lives, if the way Jesus came into our own lives would be different because we worshiped him differently. So let me read this verse. Very famous verse. You guys know John 3.16. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? As we read these next few passages, I want this to be your context. You are the temple. This is Palm Sunday. Jesus is lives in you, and he's, but he's coming afresh and anew into our temples. What does that look like? I want it to look like Palm Sunday. What did Jesus do? So let's read verse 12 again. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who brought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. Jesus went into the temple and removed things that didn't belong. I don't know about you, but I want the Holy Spirit to search this temple and see if there be any wicked way. What is inside of here that does not belong, Jesus? You are the king. And so there's things in here, everything in here has to honor you. And if there's one thing in here that doesn't please you or honor you, then would you come and turn it over and remove it? I don't want anything, anything in my life Was it wrong to be selling animals to be sacrificed? Probably not. But the way they were doing it was wrong. I don't want to go into all the history, but a lot of what was going on, it was extortion. People would come in there with their own lamb to sacrifice, and the priests or the people there, the money changers, they would say, oh, no, that lamb's got a blemish. You can't use that one. So here, I'll be nice. I'll, I'll take that one off your hands for a dollar, but I'll sell you an unblemished one for $10. And they'd sell the unblemished one for $10. And they'd take that one they said wasn't worthy and they'd cut off some of that hair and they'd go around and sell it to the next person for $10. They were manipulating things. They were doing things that looked on the surface as the right thing to do, but their heart was wicked. And I wonder how many of us, we come to church we do the right things, but is our motive 100% pure? I want God to search my heart, right? We keep saying this is the year, prepare my heart and my mind for action. I want a heart that's fully prepared, not half-hearted worship. If I remind you in Revelation, what does God say about half-hearted worship? It disgusts him. He spits it out of his mouth. It's the same context of Jesus coming into the temple, seeing things that were done right, but in the wrong way. It disgusted Jesus to the point he said, get this out of here. I want Jesus to do the same thing in this temple. 
There's times where I've done the right thing, the religious thing, the pastoral thing, the whatever thing it is that I did by obligation. And I'm saying, God, remove the religious spirits in me. I don't want to be motiva- motivated by what man thinks of me, by what religious spirits say to me. I just want to be pure and holy and clean and righteous in my worship towards you. I want to be so in love with your presence that I don't care what it looks like. There's some things that need to be removed out of your life. This isn't me pointing the finger at you. This is me, the Holy Spirit, pointing the finger at all of us this morning. What needs to be removed on this Palm Sunday? Yes, it's jumping up and down. It's shouting Hosanna. It's great. It's glorious. It's a celebratory time. But it's also a time to allow Jesus to come into the temple and overturn tables. If this truly is a year about preparing, can I just say it? How much has actually changed since January 1st to April 10th? Have you actually removed some things that need to be removed? I can throw out easy ones, right? It's easy to binge worship Netflix or whatever. I'm not saying TV is the number one thing God's after. I'm just trying to give you some examples. What are some things that the Holy Spirit, I don't have to give any more examples. The Holy Spirit's already stirred inside your spirit. What are some things that he's saying, it's time to remove those things. You want the joy of the Lord? You want to look like a little kid enjoying the presence of God? It's not going to happen until you give me those things, until you lay those things down and I actually remove it. And I love what happens at the very next verse, right? He overturns tables in verse 12. And then in verse 13, and Jesus said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made a den of thieves. Jesus doesn't come just to remove things. He comes to replace them. Jesus gave the example. Man, if you cast out a demon, make sure you don't just cast out the demon and walk away. Replace it with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, that demon is going to leave and come back and bring 10 more worse things with him, right? Don't just remove things. Replace them. Jesus says, replace this place back to a place of prayer, communion, fellowship, dialogue, conversation with my father. You used to spend time doing this. Can you remove that and replace it with time with my father? Can he actually speak into your life? Instead of coming on Sundays and that being the only time you hear your father's voice, can you remove things throughout the week so that I can speak to you every day of your life? Hmm. I love that Jesus, he's so wise, he's so good, he's full of anger in this moment, but it's righteous anger and it's because it's things that are blocking his love. God's righteous anger that sometimes is manifested, if you go to the root of it, it's because something is blocking his love. It's not because he's an angry God. It's he's such a loving God that it drives him nuts that he can't love on you the way he wants to love on you. And when he sees disobedience, when he sees foolishness, he gets angry. I want to love on you. And you've replaced this other thing and it's blocking my love. So he wants to remove it and replace it with his love. Hmm. With fellowship with communion with him. Verse 13, right? Verse 14. Oh man, it just gets better and better. Verse 14. Then the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. On this day of Palm Sunday, 
that we are recognizing today, Jesus healed the lame. Jesus performed miracles on Palm Sunday. And I remind you, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is still performing miracles on Palm Sundays and on Mondays and on Tuesdays. But on this Palm Sunday, Jesus wants to perform a miracle. But I love that it says those that were needing a miracle came to him. The Pharisees were there ridiculing him. If I actually, I just thought about this right now. When I read through the Gospels, there are times where Jesus sought out people. It was the man that was by the pool. That he, hey, what's wrong with you? Do you want to be healed? He came and he approached him. But more often than not, I don't want to give a percentage, but most of the time when Jesus healed people in the Gospels, people approached him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They pursued him, believing for a miracle. On this Palm Sunday, I wonder how many of us, we come to church and our expectation is, well, if God wants to do something, he can do it. I mean, if he wants to come to me and speak to me and do something, I mean, I wouldn't oppose it. But on this Palm Sunday, he's saying they came to him. They came running to him, believing that he was a miracle worker. I want to have that same type of faith. I want to be those that were lame and blind. There's things in me that aren't perfect yet. And I want to run to Jesus and say, have mercy on me. Perform a miracle by your grace, by your grace alone. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't deserve it. But Jesus, you're so full of goodness and mercy. Just pour it on me and heal me. All right, really quick. Not in my notes. Not I've been just trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. This morning, I found out um, that Pastor Nick has a huge flare-up of gout, um, and so he's not able to be here this morning. Not able to be here tonight. Hopefully, something can change. Found out that Daniel's got something wrong with his foot. Sandy said something hurt her toe. I just found out this morning that my son may have broke his toe. We don't even know. I'm like, you didn't even tell me that last night. Anyways, there's just I'm finding out it's kind of weird all these feet issues, and then it says the lame came to him. And he healed them. So this was not scripted. If you have something wrong with your feet or pain, can you just come up here? I'm just going to say a simple prayer. Benjamin, that's you. Uh, Daniel, you said that. And so if you got some kind of pain in your feet, we're just going to pray over it. Because this is Palm Sunday, and it says the lame came to him, and they were healed. So we're just going to practically apply what God's word says. I'm not Jesus. I didn't pay for your healing, but I love, I love the analogy. Do you know that we, we inherit everything that's Jesus's? Yes. So everything that's in the bank accounts of Jesus is ours. It's already been put in our account. It's like, it's like having a bank account, right, and getting an inheritance. If you were given a million dollars and it was put into your account, but you never withdrew, you never withdrew. Well, it's yours, but you never applied it. You never spent it. You never used it. I feel like it's kind of what I'm doing this morning. I have no power. I have no words to heal anybody. But Jesus has all this power, this wonderful miracle working power in this bank account. And he says, Ryan, I've given you access to my bank account. So I'm just delivering the check. It's like, it's his check. I'm just handing it out. Here you go. Here's what Jesus brought this morning. So as this is Palm Sunday, would you stretch out your palms towards those? And let's just pray a prayer of healing. 
So Lord, I, I thank you for the testimony that's about to happen. We rejoice already that you are the victorious one. You are the son of David. You are from Nazareth, and it's in your DNA to be victorious. So the lame have come on this Palm Sunday to you this morning, Jesus. And by your power, we declare they are healed. By your stripes, they are healed. So Jesus, put your hand over their feet right now. Even those that are online, Pastor Nick, we apply your wonder-working power and heal them in the name of Jesus. Bring your healing. Touch them and heal them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Anyone that had pain this morning, would you be willing to see if the pain diminished or is gone? Would you step on it or kind of test it out? And can you raise your hand if something got better? Something got better? Something got better. It got better. It got better when I first walked in here. Praise God. It got better. So this is what we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep applying God's word, and we're just going to see God do it. We're going to worship. We're going to see God shake the nations. We're going to see this. So thank you for coming this morning, trying something. God bless you guys. Heal you guys. And the blind. And the blind. I like it. Let's pray for it. Anyone that has a problem with your eyes, Pastor Larry, get up here. Anyone that's got a problem with your eyes? Or you can stay. You got pain in your eyes or you need surgery or you got anything going on with your eyes? Come on up. I like it. Thank you, Sally. Hmm. Yeah. And we're just going to extend our palms over you guys on this Palm Sunday. So stretch out a palm. Lord, I thank you, Jesus that you healed the blind. That is a trademark of who you are, that everywhere you went, the blind received sight. So God, we thank you that you do that in the supernatural realm, but also in the physical realm. We apply it both here right now. Open our spiritual eyes to see you as our healer and to declare that more often. But we say that right now, touch physical eyes. Touch them. Jesus, right now, heal and increase their vision. Give them 20-20 vision, Lord God. Give them better than vision, Lord God. Help them to see perfect in the natural, God. So Jesus, touch their eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Anyone have any pain removed or see any better? Just testing it out. All right. Praise God. Look at that. I got time in the middle of a sermon to pray for things. I love it. God knew what he was doing on that one because that was nowhere in my script. Hmm. And I was thinking about this. Even the story last Sunday, there was a process to Naaman's healing. He had to wash seven times, right? There was a process. Sometimes in the kingdom of God, there is a process to our healing. And sometimes it's an end suddenly. I don't always get to control that. You don't always get to control that. Again, he's the king. He gets to decide. But it doesn't mean that we stop praying and believing for the end suddenlies. It doesn't mean that in the process we give up hope. We keep believing throughout the process. So even those that got some type of healing and those that maybe didn't get anything that manifested, we're just believing, well, it's part of the process. Jesus did do something right now. Hmm. And we're going to keep believing this way. I'm just, I feel like, man, this is not in my script, but as a church, we're learning to keep believing this way and not become discouraged when we pray for someone to get healed and they're not healed. Hmm. What if Donna Rosenquist got discouraged after three years of praying for Vincent? Three years, nothing happened. Or did it? Something was happening. Just as she didn't give up for salvation, same thing, we don't give up for healing. 
We don't give up for anything that is in our account. I'm not saying I can make it happen, but Jesus says in Scripture over, multiple times that everyone that came to him was healed. That's not happened in my lifetime. That's not happened in this church before, but it doesn't mean I'm going to pray for it and go after it. If Jesus did it, he calls us to do the same things. So I'm going to keep going after it. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Do you know it's good to ask Jesus for a miracle? It's not selfish. It's not arrogant. It's not wrong. I just felt like I need to address that. I feel like sometimes the enemy might say, oh, you're asking that just for your own comfort and your own... No. It actually is good to ask Jesus for a miracle. It's not wrong to ask Jesus to even bless your finances. Again, I know that can get scary. Some of you are like, oh no, prosperity gospel. That's not where I'm going. Is there, is there a counterfeit? Is there such a thing as a wrong way of doing things? I get it. There is, the enemy always twists. The always, enemy always manipulates. So wherever there's a counterfeit, there's a real thing. Amen. So it is not wrong to say, God, I need help with my finances. And for God to do something miraculous, but also God to do a process to learn how to mature and steward and do all these things, right? Hmm. I just feel like the Lord's kind of fixing some things, not just physically healing feet and eyes, but maybe some theology, maybe some lies of the enemy. As I said that Jesus wants to cleanse the temple, sometimes I'm under the influence of the lie of the enemy. If you ask me point blank, I say, well, no, I don't believe that. Like, that's blatantly black and white. That, that's false. That's wrong. But somehow the enemy says something and it influences me. And the Lord is saying, you can't even be influenced by a lie. And I feel like that's kind of what God is doing this morning in one sense. He's doing lots of things this morning. But one of those things is he's making sure that influence is not on Osborne. We are not influenced by the pro prosperity gospel scaring us. And we're not going to even get anywhere near that. Or... You know, whatever it is, like I am not influenced by the counterfeits or by fear or by intimidation, judgment. I'm not going to be intimidated by any of that. All of that is getting washed away, removed, replaced with the real thing. Hmm. So finish it off, verse 15 and 16. <clears throat> but when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. So there was some indignation recorded by the religious elite, by the well-educated, the well-learned and informed. They were indignant. And I love that Jesus defends the foolishness of the children. He could have said, yeah, you're right. Half this crowd is going to say, crucify me in two days. You're right. They're stupid. He didn't. He defended what they were doing right. Even in their foolishness, they're still doing the right thing by praising me. Because that's what they were created to do, is to have out of their mouth praise and worship, to actually enjoy, right? It's been a while since I said this. What's the chief end of man or the goal? Why we were created? 
is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what well-educated men studied scripture. This is back a couple thousand, 1,500 years ago when most people didn't know how to read. And all the educated, they would read the Bible and there was the Holy Spirit inspired them, right? How do we craft church services that people learn and educate themselves? What's the goal of the Bible? Why did God create humanity? It's to glorify God and actually enjoy him. You know, I was taught in this church and just in Christian schools and just maybe with my own dense head. I was asked as a kid in Sunday school, I remember I answered multiple times, why were you created, Ryan? To glorify God. And I stopped right there. To glorify God. That was the number one answer out of my mouth, to glorify God. Like I was created to, to exalt God for, his, you know, for him to be happy, for him to get, just I'm his servant, whatever he wants. But I love that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yes, I'm to submit to him. Yes, he's the king. Yes, I'm in awe and I'm in, there's a fear of God in my life. But there's also an enjoyment. There's also a childlike playfulness. I don't know, just being real honest. If there was two-year-olds, five-year-olds that were here this morning jumping up and down, I don't know, I didn't really see it. It was actually pretty good, decent in order. But most of the time on Palm Sundays, one of those kids gets whacked with the palm branches and one kid starts crying or something doesn't go right. I can't help but think in Jesus' day, 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday, there was hundreds, not thousands of kids all around Jesus. They were doing things that were not called for in the temple. They were playing around, smacking each other, playing sword fighting. It was driving the Pharisees nuts. This is a holy, respectable place. There's no room for that. Jesus, shut this down. And Jesus defended childlike play. Nah, they're having fun. I'd rather them have fun in church than to be stoic and so serious and actually have no fellowship and relationship with me. (laughs) Jesus defends fun. That's a good sermon title. Probably have my kids remind me of that sometime. Hmm. Hmm. I'm glad we have time because we're going to do some stuff here at the end. But before I get there, before I have the worship team come up, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you already? Lots of things have been said, but this Palm Sunday, we kind of went through some of these scriptures, the things that Jesus did in the temple specifically. Does Jesus need to be cried out to that you need him more often? Does he need to be the king calling the shots more often? Does he need access to remove things? Does he need to replace a right spirit, the joy of his salvation, right? Psalm 51, and renew a right spirit within me, right? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Do you need to believe for miracles like you haven't believed before? Maybe God, this whole Palm Sunday, what he's saying to you is, you need faith to arise and believe for miracles. What pastor did and just prayed for people coming forward, you need to do that in your own life, at the grocery store, at home. When you find out your son breaks his toe, pray right away, don't wait for a church service. Right? Are you believing for miracles? 
Every time I heard a fire truck, my mom, you know what she did? Growing up, she would pray for them. So Lord, we pray that you'd be with the firefighters or uh, ambulance, that they would just have your grace, your peace, your wisdom, protection, be with those that need the help. Bless them and help them and encourage them. Use this to be a point and a time where they get to know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. So even just those little things, man, out all over the place. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Yeah, get up here, worship team. <laughs> hmm. The title of this message was A Temple of Triumph. Where does Jesus need to triumph or to overly rule in your life? Not just to be made a little bit more your king, but actually come in and with a foot, I'm the king. I'm declaring that Jesus is going to triumph over the enemy's influence and authority in your life. Jesus is going to triumph over what the enemy has stolen, killed, and destroyed in your life. Jesus is going to triumph over the pride and selfishness in your life. You are the temple of the living God. And as Jesus comes into our temple today, no sickness, no table, no Pharisee, there is no chance of slowing him down. You are a temple of triumph. Actually, I don't know how to say this because I'm going to say some phrases that if I waited for you to, for me to finish the phrase and then for you to say the whole thing, we might get jumbled. Can we just jumble it all together? Can you repeat after me as I say it? Does that make sense? So as soon as you can constantly hear one word come out of my mouth, start saying that word and then you're going to be listening and then saying the next word. Does that make sense? All right, here we go. Today I am a temple of triumph. Today, he is slipping tables of corrupted influence in my life. Today, he is restoring a house of prayer in my life. Today, he is going to do the miraculous in my life. Today, he is going to root out pride and arrogance in my life. Today, I'm going to worship like a child. Would you stand as we get ready to worship the Lord? Actually, can I have some, somebody go get those palm branches, bring them up front? We're going to sing a song where we're going to get a little more undignified. Maybe you're supposed to wave your own palm branches. Maybe you're supposed to dance. But would you begin to worship the Lord in a way that makes you a little uncomfortable, a way that you wouldn't have done it, but because today is Palm Sunday, today you saw kids do something, today your pastor's calling you out, you're going to go a little further than you're comfortable doing to worship the Lord. So maybe that means getting out of your pews. Maybe that means getting a banner. Maybe that means getting a palm branch. But would you not allow the Pharisees to be the most undignified ones? Let's become children who become undignified in our worship. Amen? So let's sing. Let's worship. Let's worship.